0: If you've got a Bible with you, you can open to Matthew's Gospel. We'll look at chapter 5, verse 7. All of the Beatitudes there are printed in the bulletin, but we'll just look at verse 7 this morning. Uh, According to Matthew, uh, the main theme of Jesus' preaching is uh, this thing called the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, His Sermon on the Mount, which is here in uh, chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew's Gospel... Uh, It's the first one that Matthew records. This is Jesus' first sermon that he records. And the sermon starts here with uh, this introduction, uh, these beatitudes, these declarations of blessedness. Uh, And he is setting the trajectory and the tone for his sermon, which is about the blessed life. Uh, in the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is unlike the kingdoms of this world, uh, which is why the blessed life in this kingdom seems so strange. Uh, there's a lot of strange things here. Uh, Jesus says it's blessed to be uh, this blessed life. Really, ultimately, is about relationship with God. It's all about relationship with the King of the kingdom of heaven, uh, who is Jesus. And this King is so different from the kings of this world. Uh, the citizens of Jesus's heavenly kingdom will participate in His life and will be like Him. This strange King. And one thing that that means is that uh, citizens of his kingdom will be merciful, as he is merciful. That's what we'll talk about this morning from this beatitude. Uh, So let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, it's in your very nature to make yourself known for a relationship. You have revealed yourself to us in your word, and ultimately uh, in your divine word incarnate, in your son, uh, Jesus So we pray that you would help us to hear in him what you have to say to us. Help us to respond with hearts and lives that are open to your mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. Some of you uh, are familiar with the BBC sci-fi TV show, Doctor Who. Uh, most of you probably are familiar with it because I keep talking about it. Um, so this, it's a great show. It's been running for decades. Uh, the Doctor, you know, Doctor Who, that's not really his name. But that's what he's known by. Uh, the Doctor, he's this ancient alien time traveler who always has to save the world, basically every episode, or save the universe from the bad guys. Uh, there's bad guys, and he's the good guy. And he has to save the universe, but he's got this big handicap uh, all of his enemies use violence. He doesn't use violence. It's, it's his big handicap. <laughs> so even if you think the bad guys really deserve to be destroyed, it's so obvious. Somebody should just wipe them out. Uh, they rarely are destroyed because the doctor shows mercy. That's what he does. It's part of who he is. And his worst enemies despise that quality. They despise mercy. His worst enemies, um, if you're a fan of the show, you know that there are these uh, things called the Daleks. They're these ugly, cruel, bioengineered mutants who drive around in their own personal little mini-tanks that look like kind of giant salt shakers (laughs) just riding around (laughs) uh, with impenetrable armor and death rays just incinerating and vaporizing everybody. So Daleks, they're the bad guys. They're pure, right? The Daleks are pure. That's what they pride themselves on. Pure malice and absolutely merciless. Uh, Their sole mission is, it's all they can talk about, is to exterminate. Uh, exterminate all inferior life forms and anyone other, anyone not a Dalek, is an inferior life form. So they don't show mercy. They only understand mercy enough to hate it. They're genetically hardwired against it. They can't even ask for mercy. It's actually not possible for them. That word isn't in their vocabulary. They can't stand the idea of being at someone's mercy, especially because they consider all others to be in inferior life forms. They can't stand the idea of being at somebody's mercy for that reason and they're always telling the doctor that his mercy will be his undoing pretty much every episode uh, that they're in they're they're telling him your mercy your compassion is going to be your undoing so the daleks are the quintessential bad guys they're really great the perfect bad guys unfortunately this kind of bad guy isn't just ridden into obscure fictional tv shows this kind of bad guy is rampant in this world the The writers of the show uh, originally patterned the Daleks after the Nazis, actually, in uh, World War II, uh, who ruthlessly, systematically sought to exterminate all inferior life forms. Not every individual Nazi was pure evil, pure malice maybe, but they're fairly representative of merciless humanity at its worst. Not just being merciless themselves, but also punishing the merciful who oppose their plans for canceling other life forms. Who oppose their plans for cleansing the race. So if the Nazis caught you sheltering the ones that they consider to be the inferior life forms that they sought to exterminate, if you're sheltering them, you get caught, you get exterminated right alongside them. So the Daleks are patterned after the Nazis. And the Nazis are patterned after regular old people. Just... Sinful human beings, that's what we're like when we have no room in our hearts for mercy. We grow bitter in a single-minded purpose and pursuit of vengeance. We disdain all life forms to be uh, that we deem to be inferior or who we perceive to be a threat to our vision for how life should be. We disdain and we exterminate. We develop something called a cancel culture and we draw... Smaller and tighter circles around groups of people who are socially acceptable to us or beneficial to our lives or our vision of life. Words like forgiveness and mercy are rare and difficult to utter. And it's hard for us even to ask for mercy or forgiveness for ourselves because we prefer not to operate on that principle. Sinful human beings, people who are out of step with the, the spirit, people who oppose the kingdom of God can't stand to live at the mercy of others. And the idea of being merciful does not compute. Being merciful in a world like this is difficult for a lot of reasons. But being merciful is a beautiful and blessed thing in the kingdom of heaven because God himself is merciful. And being merciful is a participation in God's life. God makes himself known uh, to Moses dramatically in Exodus 34. It's one of these big chapters in the Old Testament that uh, you should be familiar with. The revelation of this holy God, he's making himself known to Moses personally by name, so the revelation of this holy God to sinful human beings is so devastating that God has to take special measures to preserve Moses' life, lest he die just from the revelation of who God is to him. God has to mercifully take great precautions with Moses to preserve his life. And in the most profound Disclosure of his identity to anyone in the Old Testament, God reveals himself as Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious. He had to take these merciful precautions with his life, even to be able to speak these words to him. And it's the very first thing that he says about himself after his name, mercy. Mercy, it's who he is. It's his identity. And the scriptures quote this self-revelation of God very often. You, you hear these words, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. So many times in the Old Testament. So often that it's easy to take it for granted and sort of become desensitized to, uh, to God's mercy, to the real shock of God's mercy. So the shock might have faded. God is scandalously merciful. Mercy is a scandalous thing. To, mercil- to merciless human beings in this world, it's scandalous that God mercifully forgives sins. You had a whole bunch of people telling us why it's wrong just to forgive sins. It's scandalous that God spares his enemies from the fate that they deserve. It's scandalous that God shows favor and kindness to people who have nothing to offer. It's scandalous that God doesn't just exterminate all inferior life forms, but he's tender and compassionate and lavishly gr- gracious and generous toward them. That's all scandalous. That's shocking. The Lord Jesus is himself God's mercy. He's God's love incarnate. God's love and mercy in the flesh. And as he is God, we are at his mercy. That's language we use a lot. We used it in our confession of sin already today. We are at God's mercy. He could have dismissed us all as inferior life forms with nothing to offer him because that's true. That's true. We're unworthy of his care and his attention. He could have condemned us and punished us for our rebellion. He has every right to do so. It would be just. It would be what we deserve. We're at his mercy. Thankfully, we're at the mercy of the merciful one. He is the God of mercy. In human flesh, he's sent and given and poured out to bless not just inferior life forms, but enemies. Sinners. When he walked the earth, the king of heaven showed mercy to all kinds of people. That is, He spared us, and he showed kindness to us, even though we didn't deserve it. He protected, Jesus protected and provided for the weak, for the little and the least of these, and he healed and helped sinners, his enemies. So there's only one kind of human being who ever benefited from Jesus' presence and power, and that's sinners, people who didn't deserve to. Even when his enemies came to arrest him under cover of night, and one of his people cut off the ear of one of their people. Jesus stopped the fight and mercifully restored his enemy's ear to him. He has mercy for the outcast. He has mercy for the marginalized. He has mercy for those who have nothing to offer, even those who sought his life. And just like the villains are always warning the good guys, your mercy will be your undoing. Ha, ha, ha. You know, it was true for Jesus. He was undone by his mercy. We exterminated him. And even when we had crucified him without mercy, Jesus still prayed for our forgiveness. His dying words were mercy. It doesn't make any sense. His mercy does not add up. It doesn't compute. It doesn't calculate. And that's one problem that we can really have with this beatitude. We want mercy to make sense in a uh, bookkeeping accounting sort of way, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Doesn't that mean <clears throat> if you are merciful, then God will be merciful to you? Doesn't it mean if you're merciful, then you'll deserve God's mercy? Doesn't it mean that you can purchase God's mercy with your own mercy? Doesn't it mean that you can earn the reward of God's mercy by showing mercy? No, it doesn't mean that. This isn't a math equation or a cosmic cash register. Mercy is a scandal to such thinking. The merciful don't deserve the mercy that they shall receive. They need mercy. They need God to forgive them. So those who receive God's mercy in Christ are by definition being spared what they actually deserve. They're receiving forgiveness in favor that they don't deserve. It's not that their mercy merited God's mercy. It isn't blessed are the merciful because they're merciful. It's they're blessed, they're happy with God's own happiness because they shall receive mercy. It's that their trust in God's mercy and their hope in God's mercy, their thanksgiving and their love for God's mercy means there's room in their hearts for that concept. Even enough room to know their own need of God's mercy and to ask him for it. So it's like David, who was so mistreated by Saul, he was falsely accused and hunted down as a criminal, as Brian read in our Old Testament reading from 1 Samuel 24, Uh, yet David couldn't bring himself to harm Saul when he had him at his mercy, Rather than seeking vengeance and giving Saul, his enemy, what he deserved, he said, may the Lord judge between me and you. The Lord's given you into my hands, but may the Lord judge between, I'm giving you right back. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the Proverbs of the ancients says, Out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. So David treated Saul mercifully with reference to God, with absolute reference to God. Because there was room in his heart for mercy. Because of his relationship with this God who is merciful. So we know this is what's going on in his heart because we have Psalm 57. It's the prayer that he prayed at this very moment. It says at the beginning of Psalm 57 in those little title verses uh, that we sometimes get in Psalms. It says Psalm 57 was written to the choir master according to Do Not Destroy. It's probably a good metal song. A miktam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. So that's the setting for Psalm 57 and it starts this way. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. So this, this reveals his own deep need for God's mercy. He knows he, he has need. Here's Saul right in front of him, his great enemy, who's hunted his life down. And he, can, he can take him in his hands and kill him right there. He prays for his own mercy. He prays for, for God's mercy for him. He he, had, he shows his absolute dependence on God's mercy, which has led him to act in mercy, even towards his enemy. So if you love the mercy of Jesus, you'll show mercy to others. You'll show kindness and compassion to those who have nothing to offer. You'll set aside all malice and bitterness and leave off vengeance. You'll, you'll give judgment over to God, and you'll forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. If you love the mercy of Jesus... You'll do these things. It's not that you're going to do them perfectly. Mercy's not going to be perfect, right? I mean, look at David again. He started reaching out his hand against Saul in the cave, and he cut off the corner of his robe before he repented. Right? But then his heart struck him, and he repented. So people who know and love God's mercy won't be able to stand their own merciless hearts for very long. And they'll pray to the merciful Lord to forgive them and to make them more merciful as he is. So is the Lord's mercy beautiful to you? Do you know your need for it? Do you enjoy the sweet relief of his mercy and his forgiveness when you ask for it and when you hear about it in Christ? Do you pray for mercy to replace your hate and your bitterness and your desire for vengeance? Do you have room in your heart for mercy? Is it in your vocabulary? Do you speak the language of mercy? Regularly, If so, these are the workings of the spirit of mercy in you. Jesus has mercy on you at the cross. He also has mercy on you in the convicting work of his spirit, drawing you to participate more deeply in his own life. So if you think it's good to spare your enemies from the fate they deserve, if you wrestle with that, but really you think it's good to do that because Jesus did that, If you think it's good to show favor and kindness to the little and to the least, to those the world would deem to be worthless or of no value or nothing to offer, if you think it's good to be tender and compassionate and lavishly generous toward others, even when you're tempted to believe that they're inferior life forms who don't deserve your attention, if you love mercy because of Jesus and his mercy, then you'll be blessed. You'll be happy with God's own happiness because of Jesus and in mercy. Being merciful is not always the most pleasant experience. Uh, When it's so easy to want to retaliate and exult over your enemy's downfall, that person has hurt you, you get back at them. That would feel good, right? And it's easy. Or when you might sacrifice something to give to the undeserving poor, you might have to go without some comfort or pleasure or even some basic need yourself. To give and to share. To somebody who doesn't really deserve it. But that's who we've been to Jesus. We've been the undeserving poor. And we've been the enemy. And he's never forsaken us. Knowing Jesus. And, not, and receiving his mercy. But not just receiving his mercy. But participating in his life of mercy. And extending his mercy to other people. That's true blessedness. That's divine privilege. That's divine favor. So I love the interaction that Jesus has with Peter in Matthew 18. It says, Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? It's really stretching the limits there, right? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven or However your translation goes, right? It's hard to forgive someone who sins against you. Even one time, Peter's probably boasting with the suggestion of forgiving seven times, right? It's the perfect number. We're going to forgive this this person to the perfect limit, right? And Jesus' mercy is incalculable. It's It's insane. It doesn't make any sense. It's unlimited. Not just seven times. Not just the perfect number for those who are keeping score. 77 times, an unlimited, boundless, scandalous mercy that does not compute, just like Jesus has shown you. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us, sinners. Father in heaven, we pray that you would make us merciful even as you are merciful. And Holy Spirit, We pray that you would reveal the mercy of Jesus to the world, even through our mercy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.